Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Tonight's message is entitled, Amazed and Afraid of the Cross. Amazed and Afraid of the Cross. Reading to you from Mark chapter 10. Verses 32 through 34. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will arise again. I'm going to focus on this whole passage, but specifically in verse 32. It says, they were going up to Jerusalem Jesus going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Amazed and afraid, all in one verse. Amen. Amazed and afraid of the cross. Father, I thank you for this season of your death, your burial, your resurrection. This is the gospel. This is the greatest news. This is the most joyous news, a news that the world is desperate to hear. And I pray here tonight, beginning, amen, this Holy Week season, this gospel season, that you would speak to our hearts on this subject, being amazed and afraid of the cross. In Jesus' name, I pray, and everyone said, amen. Amen. At times, Jesus did things that his disciples did not quite understand. And because they did not understand it, it gave them a lot of mixed emotions, For instance, the Lord said, let's get into the boat, let's get on the lake, and we're going to go across the sea and we're going to get to the other side. It's been a hard day for Jesus. He gets down at the bottom of that boat and he goes to sleep. And his disciples, the fishermen, the sailors are rowing away and a great storm just comes right up on them. And that can happen on a lake. If you've ever been on a lake, that can happen. You know, half the time we're worried about the engine, you know, going out. And then you got a storm, you know, all all kinds of things can go wrong. These were expert fishermen, accustomed to fishing all night, knew how to handle rough seas and waves and things like that. But the storm was so strong that these expert fishermen, probably the only people throughout the land who could swim even, they feared for their life. And they woke up the Lord and said, Master, we are about to die unless you do something. God, if you don't get it together, we're going to die and it's going to be your fault. And you would think that Jesus would have stand up and said, oh, my children, I'm so sorry. I'm so worried for you. Thank you for waking me up and bringing this to my attention. But instead, the Lord woke up, probably mad they woke him up. And that's something. Jesus was sleeping through a storm. How about that? Mm. But he woke up and rebuked them for their unbelief. And he stood up and rebuked the storm, and everything went calm. You see, Jesus rebuked them because before they got in the boat, before he fell asleep, he said, sail on over and we're going to get to the other side. 
That is where they were going, and because God said it, that is what was going to happen. But in their mind, we got a storm, and because we got a storm, we're not going to get to the other side. And what Jesus was trying to teach them there is, no storm can stop my word from coming to pass. There is no tempest, no rain, no lightning, no thunder, nothing that could ever stop my people from getting to the other side. Can I tell you, friend, if God has told you you're going to get through the other side, if you're going to make it another week, you're going to make it another month, you're going to make it another year, another decade, I don't care what storm or what demon or whatever life may throw at you, you are going to get to the other side. Praise God. Amen. Amen. You know, one night Jesus said, I'm going to go up to the mountain and pray. You all go ahead and get in the boat, and I'll see you on the other side. And the Bible says they got into the boat, and again, a big old storm arose. Now, back then, the water was very superstitious to the Hebrew people. Fishermen was a risky job, a risky business. They were a desert people. Most people couldn't swim, but the fishermen knew how to navigate that. There were... uh, I guess old fisherman tales that whenever a fisherman would die in the sea, their ghost would arise and haunt the top of the water. And they're out there in that storm, fearing for their life. The Lord not with them at the boat in this moment. And they look up and see a being walking on top of the water. And they, at that moment, believed all the ghost stories and said, it's a ghost. But Peter said, I don't know if I believe in ghosts anymore. And he said, if it's you, Jesus... Command me, and I will come out to you. He put a test on the Lord. And Jesus said, try it. And Peter steps out on that boat, out of that boat, and stands on the water and starts walking where the Lord is. You know what he was trying to do? Be a disciple in that moment. He wanted to go to great places that the Lord had been. He wanted to walk and do exactly what his master was doing, even to the point of walking on the water. And if you know how, to keep your eyes on the Lord, and you want to do exactly the way he did it, God will let you get a taste of it. He really will. These miracles that Jesus did, he wants us to do it because he did it. The places he went, the things that he accomplished, even to heaven itself, he wants you and I to have it. I want to go where he goes and walk where he walks and be where he is. Amen. And even when Peter took his eyes off him, did the Lord say, swim on your own, you fishermen? No, he had mercy on him, stuck his hand in the water and pulled him up and encouraged his faith, right? There are times when the Lord will do things up here in places that you don't think he should be and do things that you don't think he ought to be doing it that way. And if you're not careful, you can become very afraid at what God is doing. You can become, as it were, amazed. Let me hear you say amazed. Now, for us, amazed means, oh, it's so nice, you know. It's just uh, so beautiful, you know. It's just so amazing, right? You could also say, in this context, astonished, meaning almost like perplexed that it would be even done this way. And the Lord did that oftentimes. One day, they brought in a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. Now, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it, meaning there are things in the law 
that have been spoken that need to be done and haven't been done yet, I'm going to get them done. And when they brought that woman in adultery, the Lord kneels down and starts to write in the dirt. And they said, Moses commanded somebody that's been caught in the very act should be stoned. And the Lord is riding in the, in the dirt there as though he heard them not, and they pressed upon him, and he finally looked up at them, and he said, any of you that doesn't have any sin, go ahead and stone her right now. You know what I think was going on there? They brought up Moses. They brought up the law. And what does the Lord do? He gets down riding in the dirt. You look in your Bible in Numbers chapter 5. In the book, there is what is called the jealousy offering. What it was is, is if a man became jealous for his wife and thought perhaps she was not faithful to him, but he could not prove it, he could bring her to the temple door, and the priest would scoop up dust off the temple floor, put it in a cup of water, and make that woman make a vow of her innocence or guilt. And she would drink that water. If she was innocent, nothing would happen. And the husband could never put his words on her ever again. But if she drank that cup and she was guilty, she would become very, very ill as a sign that she was guilty. You know what the Lord is doing there? Saying, fine, you want to talk about the law of Moses? Let's all of you start drinking some water now. Let's see who gets sick right now. Put the stones away and let's drink up right here. And they realized and they were convicted at their hypocrisy and they all walked away because they knew that if they were all honest, that law would have condemned them all. Mm. Shocking to the people. Surprising to the people. Astonish in the eyes of the people. That little lady is sitting there She looks up at the Lord as he stooped down, and I'm so thankful God stooped down for us, amen. And he said, where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone. And he said, I don't condemn you either. Go your way and sin no more. Astonishing. Normally, they would have taken somebody like that out back and beat him to death. That's what they did. That's what the resurrection is about. God said, I don't want my people to be beaten for their sins. I want to do it for them because I know one day the wrath that is to come for all eternity, and I want to give them a chance to miss it. So I'm going to be beaten for them, and I'm going to go to hell for them, and I'm going to rise up out of the grave for them, and I'm going to go to heaven for them because if they follow me here and now, they'll follow me to the cross to the grave, down to hell, and then up into heaven, praise the Lord. That's our destiny, amen. Amen. Don't be amazed. Don't be astonished. Don't be fearful at what God is doing. It may not make sense to you now, but what God sees is what's on the other side of the storm. He sees what's on the other side of the condemnation. And if you will just trust the end, amen, before the beginning, what you're going through will make sense. Hallelujah. Trust this Jesus. Amen. Get curious about the ending of the matter. Don't so much focus about the problem here now. Focus on what is to come and what you're going through will make sense. Praise the Lord. God doesn't do anything 
without talking about it or giving you a hint first. I got to tell you that. He does. I've had many days where I woke up knowing it would be a bad day. I get dressed and get outside, and I got a flat tire. I already knew it. I could feel it. Something was wrong. Things go bad. I remember a few Sundays ago when Brother Bernard was here, I woke up so excited about Transition Sunday. A little nervous, but I believed God was going to move. But I knew something would go wrong. I thought, my God, what's going to go wrong? But flat tires, you know, I'm used to those. You know, what's going to go wrong? And I get here to church. Everybody is shaking hands. Everybody's happy. Everybody's excited. I go in the back. I teach Discipleship One class. They're all hungry for God. Some of them are making the decision to be baptized. I thought, maybe I just had a bad dream or woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Nothing's going to go wrong. And then right at about 1040, the fire alarms go off. And I thought the whole class would have got up and ran out, but none of them even moved. Everybody else cleared out, but the disciples were hungry for the word of God and the fire of the Holy Ghost. And if you were there, we had a false alarm and and uh, we've got most of that situation resolved, but uh, we're still kind of working on it, some things out of our control. But uh, I knew something would go wrong, and that was it. But at the end of it, amen, we had a powerful tongues and interpretation, and God moved, and God is with us. The Lord will give you a heads up. You're about to go through something. Whether a dream, a thought, a sign, or something. He always does it. Concerning his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he gave the world a heads up that it would happen. You know, the prophets saw a great day that we know as the day of the Lord. Let me hear you say the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is at the end of Revelation. Jesus comes back on that horse, defeats the Antichrist, casts him and the beast and all of them down into the abyss. He does it all in one day. And it's something. Antichrist is. You know, the spirit of Antichrist is here now working and moving. He's going to get control for three and a half years or seven years, depending on your beliefs. But Jesus comes down and in one day just wipes it away. All the kingdoms of the world become the kingdoms of the Lord. It's fascinating to think about. Astonishing. Even yet fearful to even think about that. Praise the Lord. We got prophecies about that. And it's a prophecy that we cling to. And even we pray it. Kingdom of God come. Every day we should pray that. Lord, we're tired of this world. We're ready for your kingdom to appear. We long for heaven. We want heaven. Amen. Let it come unto us. That is the prayer of an ancient prophecy that Moses saw, that Enoch prophesied about, that Noah knew about, that Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of the prophets knew about, that one day God is going to have his day where he is going to completely redo earth and set up his kingdom for a thousand years. Amen. A thousand years with the Lord is how many days? One day, it is the day of the Lord. It's a great prophecy. The New Testament talks about it. That day is coming. That day is coming. Amen. Look at the signs all around us. Famines, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, all of those things. The things that Jesus said that would precede his day are happening. 2033, it'll be 2,000 years since the Lord ascended. Ten years from now. I'm not going to get out here, and I don't plan on talking about Bible prophecy, and I'm not going to talk about 13 reasons God is, or uh, excuse me, 10 reasons God is coming back in 10 years, you know, and all of that. Maybe I should write a book about that and make a lot of money. All right, come on. 
Let me remember, 88 reasons why the Lord is coming back in 88. Sold a lot of books, and, but, you know, it didn't happen. Here we are. The Lord said it would happen. The prophets saw it. And the prophets also foresaw that the Lord would suffer. David knew it. He said, they will look upon the man who they pierced. It's crucifixion language. And David later would write that when that happens, his soul would not be left in hell. And his body would not see any corruption. That was the prophecy. That's what the disciples would have had. That's what they would have known. That even the Old Testament prophets foresaw Messiah. That he would not be left into the underworld during his death. And his body would not be even corrupted. Meaning there would be no decay in the Lord's body. But he would come up out of that grave. Amen. David saw that. Isaiah said that when that Messiah comes, that one day he will be numbered with the transgressors that he would be buried among the rich, that he would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. They would have saw it reading that Bible. They would have known Isaiah's prophecy that one day he would be numbered among transgressors. That's the thieves on the cross. That he would have been buried among the rich. That was Joseph of Arimathea. They would have known by the whipping post. Those are the stripes that would one day heal us. They had Bible for what Jesus was about to go through. They had prophecy what Jesus was about to go through. And not only that, but they had even direct word from Jesus himself what he would go through. We read in Mark chapter 10, the Lord told them, I am going to be betrayed. I am going to be delivered up. I will be mocked. I will be scourged. They will spit on me. They will kill me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise up again. <laughs> Our passage we read was the third time he told him that. Mark chapter 8, the Lord told him, I'm going to suffer. I am going to be rejected. The priests are going to kill me. But I am going to be rising up on the third day. Spoke this word openly. Having all of the Old Testament prophecies, all of the signs that Jesus was Messiah, when he said that, Peter rebuked him and said, don't die. Don't let it be this way. I don't like this plan. I want you to live forever. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. He was astonished and fearful of the idea of the Lord being on the cross one day. And he was rebuked for it. Jesus said it in Mark chapter 9. Not too long from that, the first one, the Son of Man, he will be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. But on the third day, he will arise. And it says many of them did not understand and were so afraid. And here Jesus leading up into Palm Sunday, which we will celebrate this Sunday. The same thing is going on. He's walking up to Jerusalem. The Bible says that the disciples looked at him and they were so astonished and so amazed that he would be going up to Jerusalem. And the reason they were so amazed that he would do this is think about all the things, the threats that were spoken against him. You know, Jerusalem is a very spiritual and religious city. And anytime Jesus was there, even from the time he was born, nobody ever opened their home to him. He was sleeping in caves, sleeping in mangers sleeping out in the woods, as it were, Jerusalem rejected their own Messiah. They threatened to kill him. It was not a city where he was welcome. It was a city that killed prophets. 
a city that stoned prophets. It is no wonder why they were amazed that he would go to a city that hated him. I'm sure they wondered, God, why can't you at this time just go up into the nice cities of Galilee where everybody is being healed and all the dead are rising up and all of those who are lame can walk? Why can't we go there? The Lord was going to a city that amazed them. The Bible then says while they were amazed following him that all of a sudden they were afraid. They were afraid in that moment what might happen to their Lord, that what he said would happen actually might happen. That is what they were amazed and afraid about, amazed that Jesus would even go to a city that hated him and afraid of what might happen to him. That is the resurrection season. It is a season when you look at the story, it really doesn't make sense. You know, why couldn't Jesus make his day right then and there? Why couldn't he just jump on a a white horse and take over the city? If he would have done that, none of us would have ever been able to go to heaven. Because Christ wouldn't have paid the price at that moment. And he wouldn't have fulfilled prophecy. And if we are not careful in this season, in our own season, the same thing that happened to the disciples then, you and I, and stand amazed and in fear of what God is trying to accomplish. If we are going to do anything for God in these last days, we have got to trust him, we have got to believe him, and just get on board with whatever he is doing. Can we say praise the Lord? Amen. Let's all stand. Musicians, please come. Let me hear you say amaze. Let me hear you say afraid. I think we should be amazed. And I think we should be afraid for the right reasons. And I shouldn't be amazed or astonished that he went to Jerusalem. But really what we should be doing is being amazed that the Lord would go to Jerusalem for us. That's why he went to Jerusalem, to die for us. That's amazing, isn't it? They were afraid following him, what might happen to him. You know what you and I need to be afraid about this resurrection season? We need to be afraid what would happen to us if he didn't go. That's the amazement and the fear that you and I should have. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. It doesn't necessarily be afraid of God like he's a, you know, a horrific God. To have the fear of the Lord is to simply to be in constant fear of what would happen if you didn't have him in your life. That's the fear of the Lord. What would happen if God took his hand off my life? What would happen if his plan, amen, wasn't on my life? That's what I'm afraid of. I have fear for the Lord. And we should be astonished at him. Anytime he does a miracle, we should think, why us? Oh my God, we're not worthy of it should be astonishing to us that he would even take time for us. Those are the emotions that God wants us to have going into this resurrection season. It is amazing that he would even take the time to do this. And we are so afraid of what would have happened if he didn't. And when you have these two attitudes, amen, you can approach the cross with love. <laughs> that Roman centurion, after he saw the Lord on the cross, with wounds in his bodies, nails in his hands and feet. There's no way he could have even should have been able to talk, but the Bible says the Lord cried out 
in a loud voice, it is finished. And probably so loud that all of Jerusalem, and may I even say the whole world even probably heard the cry of Messiah. And that centurion looks up and sees the sky darkened and the earthquakes. And he looks down at the temple and sees the veil tear. And seeing all of these things, astonishment came upon him and fear came upon him. And he realized, truly, this was the Son of God, a Greco-Roman pagan. At that moment, right there, seeing that cross, he realized at that moment, my gods have done nothing for me. This is the man. This truly is the Son of God. Just before that, there was a thief on the cross who looked over at Jesus and the Bible says he railed against him and criticized him and cursed him. But then there was another thief on the other side. And you know what he asked the other thief? Do you not fear God? Do you fear him? You and I should be on this cross, but he hasn't done anything deserving of this death. And that type of fear on that cross is what saved that man's so, I've come to ask you, when's the last time you were amazed at what God did? When was the last time you were afraid of what would have happened if he didn't do it? I wonder if there's anybody, amen, amen, that just wants to get an amazement back for the cross tonight. This altar is for you. If there's anybody, amen, in here, amen, you want a godly fear to come upon you in this resurrection season, this altar call is for you, hallelujah. The power of the cross is upon the life, church. The power of the death of our Lord is with us. The power of his burial is upon us. The power of his resurrection is upon us. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. May the Lord give you a vision of the end. Not what you're going through now, but an end of it. Hallelujah. He had to endure the cross to resurrect. He had to endure the grave to be glorified. You're going through what you're going through right now. Amen. To come out on top, even stronger and greater than what you were before. Hallelujah. Suffering will make you strong. Pain will make you powerful. Amen. A trial. Amen. Amen. Will give you great victory. Praise the Lord. I stand amazed at this Jesus. I stand amazed that he would take time for me. And I'm so afraid of what would have happened. Amen. If he didn't do it. We're amazed and afraid of the cross here tonight, Lord. And we call out to you tonight for this resurrection season. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody, get some things under the blood tonight. Get it under the blood. Hallelujah. Amen. Let your trust in God be renewed tonight. Amen. Let your confidence in His prophet, it is in His process be renewed tonight. Hallelujah. Somebody, amen. God's speaking a word to you. You might be about to go through something. Don't worry. He'll take you through it. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Amen. Reach out to the Lord. Reach out to the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.